And now, back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on TalkZone.com. Next up on Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com, Cubs Hall of Fame great Billy Williams. The Cubs could use you right now in the outfield, playing left field. Well, I think uh, right now the Cubs have a young outfielder, you know, outfield, and uh, it's going to take a little time. This is when Theo came in and Jed Hoyer. When they came in to uh, reorganize the ball club here, they had to start from scratch. And it's always, you know, a good thing to do. The, the fans just have to give them a chance because the only way, when you look at the Cardinals and when you look at the Dodgers, the one thing they did is they build from within. And they build a good ball club, and they didn't just not win this year. They won years after. Starting off in Whistler, Alabama, when did you start playing baseball? Well, I, it was at a young age. I started playing uh, maybe about nine or ten years old. You know, it was a game that uh, I gravitate towards. I couldn't play in the basketball, and um, I played uh, played baseball. And uh, it was about ten years old, ten, eleven years old. Uh, I remember, you know, my, I had three three more brothers, and they all was old. I was the youngest of the, the four, and they would play baseball, and and they would take me with them at times. And just to teach me the game, uh, I wanted to play, and they knew I wanted to play, and and of course they gave me a lot of experience on how to play this game of baseball. You well, you came up through the Cubs system with a couple other players. What was the Cubs minor leagues like back then? Well, the minor league was great. You know, you had some great players uh, in the minor league because you had to start off in D ball. Now you start off in A ball, but when you sign a contract, I did. In 1956, two, two days after finishing high school, I was on my way to uh, Parker City, Oklahoma. And uh, that was the Class D League. I didn't get a chance to play that much because they had uh, Lou Johnson on the club, Sammy Drake. Uh, they had some good players on the ball club. And when they went on the road, they would leave me in Parker City. But uh, at that time, you had to start off in D and my A ball. And I think at that time we had two AAA clubs that uh, you had some great players just sitting waiting to take your job in the major league. And uh, that's what I had planned on doing by signing the contract playing B-ball. Now, Ponca City, Oklahoma sounds like it's in the middle of nowhere. Was it? Uh Uh-huh. It really was. It really was. I rode two and a half days and I wind up in uh, Ponca City, which was in the Sooner State League. They had Lawton, Artmore, I think uh, uh, Seminole, uh, you know, a lot of uh, Indian names because the Osage Indians uh, was down in that area. But it was the Sooner State League, and uh, I didn't know where I was going. It was in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw just we played in Conoco Park, which was a big oil refinery in, uh, in uh, Ponca City, and they built a nice ballpark. The ballpark was great, and it was just an enjoyable time down there. I see that one of your mentors in the minor leagues was Hall of Famer Rogers Hornsby. What kind of tips did he give yes. you back then? Well, Roger was a guy that, uh, you know, in Santa and I reached double-A baseball, which was San Antonio, Texas, um, uh, John Holland was a general manager for the Chicago Cubs. And John Holland, I, I guess you've often heard Santo talk about uh, what was happening 
you know, when Roger came down there, he put all the guys to the test of working out, a couple of days of workout, hitting. And uh, he got everybody in the stand. And so you have two guys down in uh, the minor league that uh, possibly have to come in the near future. It shows you how he had an eye for players. And he say, Sano and Williams are going to come up and have to come win some baseball games. This is what he did when he came back to Chicago and told John Holland. And, uh, you know, Roger was a good guy. We we talked about uh, hitting. And I think the one thing I remember, because I learned the strike zone at an early age when I was in double-A, and he always talked about a strike is from the armpit. At that time, it was armpit to your knees over home plate, which is 17 inches wide. And that... That was in my thoughts every time I went to the plate. I knew I was going to get a good ball to hit, and I couldn't miss it. But I wanted the ball to be over the strike zone. Now, in San Antonio, at one point you you left the team. You went back home. Buck O'Neill, the uh, the Cub scout, had to, to go visit you and convince you to, to play some more baseball. What was that situation like? Well, it was a situation that I was just, uh, I was just fed up with baseball between uh, playing and riding the bus and uh, seeing, seeing the white players go in and get a good bed in a hotel, and I had to go to a private home as we ride up and down the highway. Uh, I had to wait on the bus. I couldn't go in the restaurant to eat, and I just got fed up with the whole situation, so... When I got back to uh, San Antonio, I had a roommate by the name of J.C. Hartman, and I told J.C. to take me to the train station. And uh, he said, uh, why? I said, I'm, I'm going home. He said, uh, you're not going home. I said, well, you know, if you don't take me, you know, I will grab a cab and, and I will go back to Mobile. And he said, well, you know, you, you talk like you really want to go home. I said, yes, I do. And he took me to the train station, so I went home and stayed about three or four days. And I'm glad it happened that way because Buck O'Neill, John Holland, you know, called Buck O'Neill and told Buck O'Neill to come down to uh, Mobile, Alabama, and uh, visit with Billy and uh, try to get him to come back and play baseball because we thought he was making great progress in the Cubs organization. And when Buck came down, I stayed three or four days, and I came back, and uh, I came back to double A and I was in double A two or three I guess about two weeks and then they called me up to triple A and from triple A I came to the big league I didn't do anything but sit on the bench in the big league but I was there did you ever talk to Jackie Robinson about your experiences and compared it to his no I I, I talked to Jackie but not that not that not not the experience in the major league Jackie you know we knew all about that we knew about Jackie and we knew about uh, how he had trouble you know, when he first started to play baseball, and of course he was the first one. And every black player that played in the 50s and 60s, uh, I think they had similar problems. You know, couldn't live at the hotel with the white guys, and they had to go to a private home. But sometimes that private home was great because we had a home-cooked meal. Now, as a kid, as a young kid, I would assume you you didn't even consider playing Major League Baseball because Jackie Robinson didn't integrate the sport until 1947. And was there a point in your uh, mind growing up that you said, hey, you know, I could I could possibly play in the big leagues? Well, Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, at that time it was a Negro League, and a lot of players played in the Negro League. It was a fun time. 
because a lot of a lot of kids didn't want to play in the in the uh, white league at the time. They enjoyed playing in the Negro League. But when Jackie made it in 1947, it gave a lot of young kids hope that eventually, if you're good enough, you know you could play in the major league. And it gave everybody who played the game of baseball hope that one day it could happen to you. If Jackie did it, somebody else could do it. And this is what happened when, uh, if you look at the movie, and I played for Leo DeRosa, and the one thing he said in that movie, Jackie was just the first one. And there were going to be a lot of players coming from the Negro League because they are great ball players. They're going to take a lot of jobs. And this is what happened. Monty Irvin told us a couple of years ago, he said that when I asked him who the greatest player ever was, I said people said his teammate Willie Mays. He goes, no, the greatest player ever was Josh Gibson. It's just a shame that he never got to play in the major leagues. It, it really was a shame. Uh, Josh Gibson, they talk about, uh, you know, Beirut, and they talk about home runs, and they talk about what great hitter uh, Josh Gibson was. But, um, you know, it, it was hard to beat. I didn't see Josh Gibson play, and it would be hard for me to be convinced that Josh Gibson was a better player than Willie Mays because I saw a 5-2 player uh, played against him, run, hit, throw, and do a lot of things on the baseball field. So, you know, it, it, it would be hard for me to convince. I know Josh Gibson was a catcher. I didn't see him play, and I know that he hit a lot of home runs. But uh, I, as I say, it would be hard for somebody to uh, convince me that that was a better baseball player in the Negro League than Willie Mays. Now, before you went to spring training with the Cubs in 1960, there was something that occurred uh, January 25th, 1960. Does that sound about right? He married January. a young woman. Oh, yeah. You yeah, married I remember that. Yeah, I, I sure do. Yeah, married. don't let me forget that. No, I was going to that. I was going to say. I was going to say. this interview. <laughs> but, uh, but February the 25th, uh, my wife Shirley and I got married, and of course we've been married uh, 54 years on the on the 25th. And we were lucky enough to have four daughters, and one of my grandsons is with me right down now. I'm down in uh, Iowa. I'm going to see my granddaughter. She's at uh, she's at Iowa, so I'm going to see her. But uh, February the 25th, we got married, and uh, as I mentioned, we celebrate now. 54th anniversary on the past 25th. Now, did she go with you to spring training? She went to be with me in the spring training, and ever when we got married, February the 25th, everywhere I have gone thereafter, she was there because I wanted her to experience what happened. Uh, you know, when I played, I wanted her to experience the baseball syndrome, and that's what she did. She was. She was in, in uh, uh, Houston with me. She came to San Antonio, well, to Houston, and all those years in the major league. So you didn't pass, try to pass that off as a honeymoon? <laughs> no. no, I didn't. No, I didn't. We've, we've had some great times together. You know, we're still enjoying our grandchildren. We're enjoying ourselves. You know, uh, we're loving one island, of course. All the kids have moved right around us, so we every other day is like a holiday at our house because we enjoy the kids and the kids enjoy us. What was it like being named Rookie of the Year in '61? 
Well, it was great, you know, going into the baseball season, knowing that double uh, A, I had a good year in double A and then triple A. Uh, that was a good year, 1960, and of course, coming to the big league, I got a chance to play that year. I had been on the 24-hour recall in uh, 59 and 60, right after the season, I came up to the big league, and I hit my first home run in the old Coliseum in Los Angeles when the Dodgers had moved out there. But going into the season in 1961, everybody had uh, picked Willie Davis of the Dodgers to be the rookie of the year. And when I came to the big league in 1961, I was a left fielder. And uh, there were times that, you know, I look and see what what did I do to hit a baseball because I didn't have a good two weeks start of the season. So Bob Will got a chance to play left field. And I sit, I sit on the bench and I start thinking what I had to do. Well, what wasn't I hitting a baseball? And uh, it happened about two weeks. And when I got back in the lineup, things started to play. And uh, I'd taken off, and I was getting some bases. I was hitting the ball out the ballpark. And everybody started talking about sweet swinging with Billy could win the rookie of the year. And it happened at the end of the season. I think that was that's the first of the award that I received over the years. And when you receive the rookie of the year, uh, it's really great because uh, it's kind of connected with Jackie Robinson now. They call it the rookie of the year award, but it's they, they wanted to name it Jackie Robinson Award. Now, 61 was the year the Cubs had the College of Coaches. What, mm-hmm. what, was, what was that like? Well, <laughs> it was a kind of funny thing. I think uh, you had some guys because they got a chance to come to the big league. I'm talking about the coaches. They got a chance to come to the big league because they were in the minor league. And this is, they were happy with it because this is what uh, Mr. Wrigley wanted it. But I think it was awkward because you'd be playing for somebody, one of the coaches, and another coach come up, and he might want to put another guy in the lineup. The guy came up the system and played for him in the minor league, so he might put him in the lineup. And uh, I, you know, a lot of people wasn't happy with it, but this is what Mr. Ridley wanted, so the coaches did it. And uh, it didn't work out too good, I tell you that. You were the guy who a lot of Cubs fans forget about. I mean, everybody talks about Sano, Banks, Williams on those teams, but George Altman wasn't too bad of a player there, your right fielder. George Altman? Right. I, I, I can't hear you. What you say? George Altman is like the forgotten Cub. He was a great player back in 61, 62. Yeah, George was a good player. He was my last roommate. George was a great player. Uh, you know, he played for us. He played uh, in the Negro League, and when uh, he came to Chicago, he played. He was a good basketball player, Tennessee State. And of course, he came to Chicago as a good right field, and then he played first base. But um, you know, he could swing the bat real good. And there were times that uh, you know, I would I would look at George and what how he hit the baseball, and I kind of kind of looked at some of the things he did. So I'd taken some of those names and put it in my uh, repertoire. The 1969 Cubs are, are fabled, but not for the that success they had. Not for the success yeah. they had. You know, it was also the year the the New York Mets, the amazing Mets, had an incredible finish to the season. What was that like going down the stretch when when you guys could you know almost see the postseason? 
Well, I, I, you said it at first, but I think the ball club was successful, although we didn't win the pennant. We create, created a lot of interest in Cubmania, and uh, it was tough at the end. You know, we, we, we got to a certain point we thought we could get in, and uh, everybody did their best to, to put the Cubs over the top. I know at the end that uh, we were making a lot of mistakes. I think uh, guys were not trained the bat real well. Uh, we were a young ball club. We never did get over the hump. I always said if we had won that year, we'd have won two or three more years after then. But I like to think that we didn't lose the pennant. The Mets won it because uh, they had the great pitching at the time, the Kuzman, the Gentry, the Madlack. And uh, they were pitching pretty good. Gentry, they always pitching pretty good. Uh, Leon Jones had a good year that year. Uh, Tommy Agee had a good year that year. Ron Swoboda making the plays in, in the outfield there. So they had, they had a great ball club, but they didn't, they didn't have a better ball club than we did. I, I think, uh, you know, they hit this groove at the right time. The pitching came on at the right time. It's, it's really a thing that uh, when you look at that, you say, you know, uh, uh, in order to win, you got to have great pitching. And it showed right there with these individuals. What was DeRocher like as a manager? Well, he was tough, but he was fair. DeRocher knew a lot about the game of baseball. He experienced a lot through the years. And I always thought DeRocher was two or three innings ahead of any manager at that time to manage a ball club. When he came over here in 66, um, he looked to several guys, and we trained in Long Beach, California there. And this was when Kenny Holson was in the Mount Lake. And we were standing behind the cage, and uh, Kenny Holtzman was throwing batting practice. And Leo said, this kid could win baseball games in the major league right now, which he did. Uh, Joe Kessinger, Kessinger, uh, you're a good shortstop. You can make the plays, and if you become a switch hitter, I'll bring you to the major league next year. Kessinger went out and made himself a switch hitter, and he just, he just groomed the good ball club. They put Fergie in the starting rotation. Fergie came over here from Philadelphia. And that was a move. That was one of the moves Leo did to put uh, Fergie as a starter. And, of course, he went to the Giants, and he got two guys from the Giants. He looked at a catcher, Randy Huntley, and he looked at the pitcher, Bill Hands. And those two guys were successful on the Chicago ball club. But Leo knew the game of baseball. He knew the players. And uh, he knew how to get the best of each guy. That core of those Cubs teams seemed so strong. Was it surprising that you guys didn't have more success than you did? Oh, it really is. It really is. Because, as I mentioned, we were the best club that going into the season that year. We were the best club that was on the field. We had all-stars, you know, Ernie, uh, Sano, Beckett, Kessinger. I think at that time they said a million dollar infield, and everybody was on the All Star team, including myself in the left field. So we put a great ball club on the field, and I always say we put the best club on the field uh, to have not won. And uh, I always will think that. I just think that one year, that one year, the Mets got lucky, you know, and won the pennant because they had some guys to come on at the right time, and. That was the pitching. They came on at the right time, and I said that if we had won that particular year, I think thereafter we could have won 
three or four more World Series. What was it like playing with Ernie Banks? Well, one more question. You want to hear about this, and I'll tell you this, yeah. and I, I, I got to be out of here. Okay? No problem. Go ahead. It was great. It was great playing with Ernie Banks. He was a guy that, uh, you know, I used to uh, uh, be with him out in spring training. He and Tony Taylor, we we moved around quite a bit out in spring training. He showed me the rope out there. We used to go with plays and meet Willie Mays and, and McCovey and all those individuals and just sit around and talk baseball. And when I when I when I made it to the major league, we roomed together for for several weeks, and uh, we had used to have discussion about pitching and what they did to get you out, what they thought, and he was very helpful. And uh, it's just a thrill for me to have played with a guy like that uh, because he was a great player, not 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 uh, the strongest arm in baseball, but he always got the run at first base, not the not the uh, aggressive train, but he always hit the home run. But he was just a great player uh, to spend some time with. And uh, he always taught me that, that uh, you know, to go up and be aggressive all the time. And that's what I did. The, the toughest pitcher you ever went up against? <clears throat> no, it was Sandy Colfax. Sandy Colfax is a great pitcher. And it's just... If you talked about 20, 25 players who played in that era, you know, in, in, in the late 60s, the 70s, uh, you know, everybody would say Sandy Kozak was a great pitcher. He had two pitches, the fastball and the curveball. And, um, you know, they were, they, they were predominantly, uh, he was predominantly a fastball pitcher and had a great curveball. But, uh, he was just an exciting guy on the mound. And every time we went to Los Angeles, we knew it was going to be tough. So after we left Los Angeles, the other pitcher caught hell. After this brief break, we will be back with Boston Red Sox Hall of Famer Jim Rice. <laughs> 